Welcome to the Bumblecast. I'm your host, Ian Flynn, the Bumble King, and joining me as always is my Bumble co-host, Kyle, JCRB Krause. Hi, Ian. We're, we're here. We've got a show to do. We got a lot going on. You're, you're still sounding, a, your voice is still sounding a little weak, but you're here and we're going to answer a lot yep. of questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still fighting off this chest infection. It's almost gone, but I am not at 100% just yet. So please forgive me for coughing and wheezing and sounding a little hoarse, possibly pony-esque. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, well, you're just sick of Sonic, I think. That's what's going on here. <laughs> I can't be. Sonic's in my veins. I know. You literally can't be sick of Sonic, because if you were, then what would you do? <laughs> that is a nightmare that keeps me up at night. Uh, <laughs> it's true. I can't. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get into some questions. You know where these ones come from, right? They're all from our priority patrons over at patreon.com slash bumblecast, kofi.com slash bumblecast, or our YouTube members, although most of these actually are just from Patreon, but that's okay. We we don't have to we don't have to specify really. Regardless, we appreciate the patronage. Yes, exactly. Alright, here's one from Four Sonic Fan. Hi guys, one more month before Sonic's birthday. I always love all the Sonic birthday art on the Sonic channel and in the comics and online. But let's give Scourge some birthday love this year as well. So question for you both. How would each of you design cover art for a Scourge birthday issue? Oh, wow. So <laughs> many things you could do. Like, have like a standard Sonic cover of him, you know, take striking a pose in front of a big multi-layer cake with all his friends. And then have the Scourge variant of Scourge busting out from inside the cake and just pelting everyone with wads of dough. Mm-hmm. At super speed. <laughs> uh, that or would be good. King Scourge sitting back, you know, accepting tribute from his subjects, sitting on a throne made out of the suppression squad. They are all kneeling or bent over in uncomfortable positions to create the shape of a chair, and they are not liking it. Or he's got all of his enemies in cages, but the cages have a nice little bow wrapped around <laughs> <laughs> Sonic hog tied from a tree branch and Scourge is going piñata piñata <laughs> oh his favorite <laughs> good 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 alright here's one from Alphamon or Yukin it's Cream's birthday in an attempt to outshine the rest of the party goers Tails builds her the Chow Walker from SA2 and Shadow gives her the Omo Chow gun from his solo game how much havoc will the bunny wreak? I can only imagine a poor vanilla having a heart attack upon seeing the aftermath. No, 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 no. No. Cream is a responsible little girl. And of course she's excited by these wonderful gifts. Vanilla, perhaps less so. But, you know, they sit down and they read the instruction manual for the walker and the chow cannon. You know, a little bit every night before bed. And, you know, Cream has to do a little bit of studying. She has to prove that she is going to be responsible with her new toys. Do a simple little laps around the garden in the big old mecca to make sure she has full control of it. And she's not going to go party hardy with it. It's just going to be something that she potentially uses when Eggman decides to be naughty. <laughs> then you have the mayhem. Mm, yes, but the mayhem is justified. And it's good, good mayhem. <laughs> and responsibly utilized. That's right. <laughs> Here's a question from Antails. 
In the murder of Sonic the Hedgehog, Blaze mentioned that the birthday cake in Sonic's dimension is better than the cake in her dimension. That got me thinking. Just how bad must the cake in Blaze's world be if she, a princess no less, expressed excitement over the prospect of having this dessert during her visit to Sonic's dimension? Well, Blaze's world is technologically behind Sonic's, so any cake on her world is probably made out of, like, real sugar and flour and, you know, actual ingredients where in sonic's world it's comparable if not more advanced than our tech so it's full of sweeteners and all sorts of preservative crap that just makes it taste so good and you know it's real bad but damn it's good Mm, mm, mm. the sugar is just bad for you though yeah yeah Fabricated stuff it always tastes better than the real thing, which is sad. <laughs> it's how you know it's bad for you. I mean, mm. Blaze might say, oh, this tastes so much better, but then you show her what goes into it, and she goes, I'm sorry, how many compound words were in that? What <laughs> uh... animal produces it? Oh, no, no, this is you know formulated in a lab. You pour it all together. I see. There's one from Angie V. QB from the Madoka Magica series approaches Surge with the chance to become a magical girl to fight witches in exchange for anything she wishes for. Anything. Assuming she's unaware of the true nature of witches and QB's uh, magical girl system, does she take his offer? And if so, what does she wish for and how does it go? Well, it's, it's Surge. She's not smart. She does not think ahead, so she would just wish for the ability to have the raw power and talent to take out anyone she wants, and then would proceed to take out whoever she wanted. Uh, Once she realized or learned the whole trade-off with becoming a witch, though, she would just go even harder into it because she gets what she wants, and then she becomes an even more destructive agent of chaos. So, (laughs) win-win. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I guess there is no downside for her, huh? Nice. Here's a question from OzJam. A topic I see people discuss is the handling of adaptation, which is how well the adaptation does of handling the source material it's based on. However, one conundrum I see often is the changing of certain plot lines and how different it is from the original story, which, while I understand changing too much can be a problem, at the same time, I don't think the adaptation should be a retelling of the original story at least from visual medium to another visual medium. So my question is, what do you think should be accomplished in an adaptation in terms of media, in terms of visual media, like comic to show? And does it depend if there should be differences from the what the original story told, or would it be better for it to tell mostly the same story that it's based on? I think it comes down to what you're doing with the adaptation. Like If it is meant to be a thematic adaptation like we'll we'll say the mcu as one giant broad example um like captain america 2 was an adaptation of the winter soldier storyline it was extremely different but that's because it was built off of a different framework of a few movies versus the entirety of the captain america run the core elements remained namely Bucky was transformed into a super soldier. He had the robot arm and Steve had to grapple with his best friend who he thought was lost forever, turned into one of his more uh, dangerous enemies. 
so the crux of the interaction was there. And to me, having read and seen both, I would, I was satisfied because the heart of the story remained and it was just told in a completely different way. And that's fine because mm-hmm. I understand that the movies are not for a faithful adaptation. It is an adaption. It is a retelling. It's a remix. Compare that to uh, Full Metal Alchemist, the original anime run, which was done before the manga was completed, goes in a completely different direction after a point. And I hate it. It is. That's a whole other brand. Whereas Brotherhood does take some liberties here and there. They trim things down where necessary to keep things moving along, Mm -hmm. but it is extremely faithful overall to the manga in terms of plot beats and character utilization and and on and on and on. And it's an incredibly good anime because it sticks so close to the manga, which is like near perfection. Like, Oh my God, dude. So had they gone completely different, like they had in the original, it is an inferior adaptation because it loses the point of the story. It gets things wrong. It is not the adaptation. It is something different. Um, Even though the author kind of the author was the one who said go different. Yeah, so, and, and, yeah, and it's not always it's the best like, call. Uh, it's like Game of Thrones, I think. Or, <laughs> yeah, like Game of Thrones to a point. It took liberties with the material, but for the benefit of the show. Right. There up until a that point. I feel like the show, up until a point. There, in the earlier seasons, at the very least, I feel like some of the liberties that the show took were even better sometimes than what the book did. More concise, more direct, more care. It felt more character driven sometimes. Um, Jeff Thu over at Mother's Basement made a pretty compelling argument for the Netflix Cowboy Bebop series that if it had been its own thing or if it was kind of like, if it wasn't trying to be Cowboy Bebop, but trying to be something like it, it could have been much stronger. But because they were trying to adapt beats from the anime, they missed the point of a lot of those. They missed the mark and that, hurt the show overall if this if the netflix show had been just here is our interpretation of bebop doing our own thing or maybe just set in the universe of it then it might have been stronger whereas trying to ape things in the anime and missing the mark so completely soured the mood so with adaptations i think you have to decide very early on and convey very early on whether it is meant to be a faithful recreation using this new medium to accentuate what was there, or if it is taking that material and doing something new with it. Yeah. Like uh, if we were to say adapt the IDW stories into animation, not all of those stories would make for a good episode or a good season necessarily. Um, they wouldn't necessarily translate into good gameplay. So there would have to be changes made in those instances for pacing and for content. 
but I feel like you could take those core ideas and moments and expand upon them in a way that you just can't do in comics. Like you could really enjoy and invest in some of the action beats or have more time to explore some of the secondary characters and greater themes that you just can't do with 20 pages a month. Yeah. 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 Uh, honestly, it really just depends on what you're trying to do and think sometimes either the it just fails with audiences or just fails as an adaptation regardless. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I, I see what you mean. Here's a question from Andrew D. Knuckles, who is brown over brains, inherited by blood and island all to himself, and guards a powerful gem. He was easily tricked into joining Eggman, and he is the last living member of his kind. Starline, who is brains over brawn, inherited by force, a base of operations all to himself, and studied and lost a powerful gem. He admired and joined Eggman, although somewhat tricked by Eggman's showmanship. And he is dead, with while plenty of platypi are presumably still alive. If you think about it, whether intentional or not, Starline was actually a great counterpart and foil to Knuckles. And despite this, we've never seen them interact. Without giving away any fan ideas, do you think being a counterpart and foil to Knuckles in this way could warrant bringing him back? What sort of interactions would you imagine Starline and Knuckles having if they had the chance? The parallels are, to a degree, baked in, since Starline was inspired by Wekina, the Knuckles sprite, and... In very, very, very early plans, there were thoughts to have more of that parallel, but that's just not where the character went, ultimately. Like, the original pitch of the idea was that Starline and Surge and Kit would all appear together, like the full trio as a set, and there would have been the opportunity to play more with the Sonic Knuckles Tails trio. Mm -hmm. And again, that just, that didn't pan out. So it's entirely possible to reintroduce Starline and give him that focus might be an avenue to go so that it, we don't risk retreading old ground with him. But that would mean a dedicated effort to build him in that direction. And would it make sense to do so given all the previous history? Because he doesn't really have a relationship with Knuckles at this point outside of a distant metacontextual one so it's a possible one sure but it would it's not just you can't just take the superficial comparisons and use that as the foundation it's a prompt to make you think "Ooh, is there is this worth pursuing but what you've listed there is not a basis for anything because knuckles has no interaction with starline either so we would need a reason for why starline is shifting his focus to be antagonistic to knuckles and build from there which can be done but i don't know if that's necessarily the way to go mm. Mm. well maybe someday maybe not we'll see here's a question from axis i recently beat the murder of sonic and i love the game 100 percent recommend now let's say the same cast from the game gets stranded in a big tropical island and they can't escape by water since there are sea monsters lurking around how do they survive what's their escape plan who turns against who what do they do for fun while they wait for rescue or for their escape plan to take effect? Apologies if this is a fan idea. It's on the line. Yeah, well, I, I would expect Monokuma to just show up. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a core premise 
It's pretty open-ended. I think really rather it it's worth pitching as a sequel to murder, <laughs> the Sonic, murder, Sonic the hedgehog, you know, <laughs> no, it would lend itself to a lot of fun mix and match interactions. No, yeah, not necessarily Sonic and tails again, but you know, maybe Sonic and vector, maybe tails and shadow, maybe Amy and Espio, like throw random darts at a board and pair up characters and see how they go about it. <laughs> Uh, Charmy and Shadow. <laughs> Who gets annoyed first? I like it. Batman 69 Law has a question. How would you do an alternate universe where Amy Rose snapped and usurped Eggman as the series' main antagonist? How different would her kind of people be from Eggman's? How would her minions differ from the badniks? And how would the main cast, Sonic, Knuckles, Amy, Eggman, and Tails, feel about this new heel turn of events? And yes, the pun came before the question. And are you asking if Amy... How Amy would feel about Amy Rose? <laughs> Wait, hold on. Is this like an all like a different like an alternate universe version of Amy that's evil? I'm I'm confused. And it helped me. I, I think they just went through the list of immediate names. Okay. Uh, the biggest hurdle is to rationalize Amy having a heel turn, because like. It's like Superman having a heel turn. I mean, she's going to force everyone to love each other. <laughs> Maybe that's the angle. You know, she's going to love and protect everyone from themselves. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> that's how I would imagine that would go. <laughs> like, if she's usurping Eggman, that also helps out because she, you know, is trying to enact change and then starts making the same mistakes. So... Uh-huh. All these little animals, they're out in the wild. They're exposed to the elements. They can be hurt. They can be put in danger. But if they're inside badniks, they're protected. They're perfectly safe inside these little th- And they're mobile, too, so they can still move around. It's not like they're trapped anywhere. And, you know, <laughs> she has experience. Badniks can be busted open. They can break. Some individuals who won't be named Sonic, you know, unwittingly break them open so they need some way to defend themselves so of course they need weaponry Mm -hmm. and some of these little boo-boos don't understand that it's for their own good so they have to be rounded up someone has to wrangle them and you know maybe you need to have a little bit of tough love and they need to be forced into the bed it all makes sense in the end why is everyone fighting (laughs) why are you fighting against me I'm trying to help people and oh. you know anyone who fights her is being short-sighted or being too aggressive or being mean uh-huh. or purposefully not understanding she takes that very personally and we know how well she handles being insulted or threatened which is to say smash it with a hammer <laughs> <clears throat> you would also have the main cast you know they've known amy this is a heel turn so they have seen the good side so they would not want to immediately you know, throw it well, maybe Knuckles. I mean, Knuckles might just throw hands because, oh, Amy turned bad. Okay, punch, punch. What? She can take it. She dishes it out just as hard. Why, why is everyone looking at me funny? She's putting animals and robots. Come on, guys. It's simple. <laughs> but Sonic, etc., would be, you know, rather aghast. They don't want to hurt their friend. They're very sad that she's taking this path, but they also need to act because she's doing bad things. And Eggman, who according to this question has survived is just chagrined. 
he's been overthrown and she's doing a better job than he did. <laughs> For now. <laughs> he should have seen the writing on the wall, that whack-a-mole game that he installed in the egg carrier. She destroyed his score. Of course she was going to take over. <laughs> That's how she took over. <laughs> uh, that's good that's good stuff right there <laughs> I like this idea I like it here's a question from Beanboard with Sonic Frontiers introducing the hack and slash elements to the gameplay how do you think Sonic's interactions would go with Kratos, Dante, Bayonetta and Raiden at the Thanksgiving dinner table <laughs> this, sounds like, this sounds like a good cast for Poker Night at the Inventory <laughs> Ah, dude. So he would totally snark it up with Dante and Bayonetta. Mm -hmm. Um, He would trade stories about destroying oversized robots with Raiden, Raiden, however you want to say it. Yeah. And uh, he would antagonize the crap out of Kratos. And I'm assuming this is, you know, current dad bod Kratos who actually tries to keep his temper for a short duration. So Sonic's going to prod to just the point where Kratos is about to flip his lid and then kind of back off because, ah, just Josh and Muthin, you want some cranberry sauce? (laughs) Uh, It's good. It's good. Uh, Yeah. I feel like Sonic would give Dante some crap for that weird off tread out of character offshoot that he had and then Dante would give Sonic crap for uh, well there's no shortage of a list of things <laughs> <laughs> I mean Sonic starts in on in band is like darling you've heard about the stones and glass houses right <laughs> yes yes thanks there's one from C.S. Lewis fan are you familiar with the works of C.S. Lewis? Could you give us a brief review of some of your more favorite works of his? If you are. P.S. If you're not familiar, and perhaps to pique your intrigue, he was a part of a writer's discussion group called The Inklings that included people like J.R.R. Tolkien. Okay. I feel like we've missed out because of the passage of time, but we could have had the lion, the witch, and the woomy. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Tolkien writing about the one calamari ring to rule them all, but I'm getting off topic. <laughs> uh, I'm not super familiar with Lewis's body of work, the Narnia series and all the other things he wrote. It was very prolific, more so than I initially knew. Um, but no, I'm not super familiar with his stuff. I kind of read Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, or have been exposed to various interpretations of that story, and none of it ever really clicked with me. I didn't see any of the live-action movies. It's just that, I don't know, something about it just doesn't click with me, and I don't really know why. Mm. I have never seen any of them. I've never read, so it says, uh, but how about the Wumi, the Umi, and the Vimo? <laughs> I mean that's that's not the cast dispersion against Lewis because I mean my God he's one of the pillars of the English language yeah but, and you know that's not to look down on the questioner because if you love 
Lewis's stuff, then by all means, enjoy. Yeah. I'm glad you have so much to uh, read through. It's just something about it just didn't click with me. The Lord of the Rings movie has overshadowed him quite a bit, I think, also. Which mm. I think it was way... Maybe they didn't catch on quite in the same way. Likewise, I, I can't get into Tolkien. Like, Hobbit was all right. I, I enjoyed getting through that, but, like, I tried to read Lord of the Rings, and this is... It, I I can't... I, I know the good stuff is in there, and so many other people have greatly enjoyed it and delved into it and adapted it clearly, but just... I can't get into his prose. I, I don't know. Yeah, reading Lord of the Rings... Actually, reading Lord of the Rings is something I tried and failed at, but I'll watch them. I'll watch the movies. Good adaptations there. But, yeah. Here's a question from Conga. According to a who's who in an issue of the Sega Dreamcast magazine, one of Knuckles' favorite 90s moments is grunge rock. So what are his favorite grunge bands? Sonic Garden? Emerald Jam? Mystic Ruin Pilots? Bad Nick and Change? Chaosana? And does he listen to them more than rap? You stole all my thunder, man. Those are all, how could I top any of those? <laughs> my favorite's Bad Naked Chains. Although mm, that uh, is a very good. One. Uh, Sonic Sonic Garden is also very good, mm, and I do mm, enjoy mm. some Mystic Ruin pilots occasionally. That's straight. That's clever. I know that's, that's well a good together. one. That's a good one. <laughs> oh man, they're all pretty good. To be fair, <laughs> I mean. I guess he listened to that stuff in the 90s, but transitioned to more rap stuff in the early aughts. Wow. <laughs> Just like grunge actually did. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, grunge went to groove metal to, well, not groove. I guess groove metal kind of became grunge. And then grunge sort of became like whatever corn is. And then that became new metal. And then, yeah, it, it's all just a big cluster. <laughs> yeah, I'm down with it. All right, here's one from Dev. Okay, so I was curious. Do you think the game verse will ever explain where Shadow's chaos powers, such as chaos control, chaos spear, chaos blast, and chaos snap come from? Since the chaos force isn't canon, did they just come from Black Doom, or could it be a new thing that could be introduced in the future? Also, this question is kind of a follow-up, but do you think a new character like Eclipse could help explain where these abilities come from, or a new character if Eclipse can't be brought into the mainline timeline canon? It's just Shadow's innate abilities, which come from his Black Arms DNA. Shadow's just cool like that, I guess. Same reason Sonic is fast, or Amy can pull a hammer out of nowhere, or Knuckles can break boulders with his noodle arms. It's... <laughs> Shadow has special powers because he's part alien. It's magic. You don't have to explain it. Except <laughs> magic doesn't exist in Sonic's world. But don't you don't have to explain that either. <laughs> and our last question before we take a break is from Dead Air. How would you recast the Princess Bride with Sonic characters replacing the actors? <sighs> is Tails Fred Savage? <laughs> I don't. Oh. Who is who is grandpa in that scenario? <laughs> Uncle Chuck. <laughs> Maybe it's Grandpa Chuck telling the story to Chris. Oh, okay, fine. We'll go with Sonic, Sonic X. X All right. <laughs> I mean, I kind of want to make the three kidnappers 
the hooligans just because yeah <laughs> fang poisoned himself with iocane just works but then bean is not an ego montoya <laughs> that's not gonna work what <laughs> bark would be uh shoot what is under the chance character name i forget Ah, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's Andre the Giant. Come on now. I know, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could. Uh, be- Bean could be. Somebody killed his father, Ben. <laughs> ah, you know what? <laughs> when you're right, you're right. <laughs> Here we go. Hello, my name is Inigo Bentoya. You killed my father. Although I'm also tempted to cast Andre as big. Yeah. Just for that scene as they're rolling up on the castle and they light him on fire. I am the Dread Pirate Roberts. <laughs> All will look upon me in despair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hmm. I mean, Sonic's got to be Wesley. I suppose. He's the effortlessly cool fella, which um, Princess Buttercup, we're going to default to. Amy, because she has that uh, innocence and sweetness to her that I know Blaze is a princess, but Blaze has too much presence. She's too regal. Regal. <laughs> She's too real. <laughs> Who would be Humperdinck? <laughs> oh, that might actually be Tails. Oh, come on now. <laughs> No, no, no. I'm no, just, no, no. I'm just trying to imagine. Tails, Tails is, I can just imagine Tails, Tails. is the, uh, yeah. No, Tails is the the soothsayer. Oh, okay. I can hear him saying, "Have fun storming the castle." Okay. <laughs> All right, I'll give you that one. Uh, I was just gonna fingered man. I was just gonna say, I could really hear Tails saying, "Inconceivable." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do, did we make Knuckles the six-fingered man just for the joke of Sonic to look at him and say, I see you have no fingers on your glove. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I don't know. I feel like this is another storybook game. A weird one. Eh, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I feel like it's not as easy no. to find a one-to-one there, but as as has been brought up in the past elsewhere, it is in dire need of a Muppets incarnation. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what isn't? Yeah, but that one in particular. But yes, My yes, God. I know, I know. But I'm just thinking, like, what, what, like, of course. <laughs> oh, that would be good. That would be fun. Oh, well. Maybe someday we'll see that. And maybe someday we'll see Sonic and the Princess Bride. <laughs> Uh, eventually. In the meantime, though, let's go ahead and take a quick break and come back with more Bumblecast. We're back, and we're here with a question from Domino. Will we ever see more of Club... Will we ever see more of Club Rouge? It adds another layer to Rouge as a character, in my opinion, while also doubling as a really interesting setting that a lot of characters could use recreationally. I don't know, but you are right. Yeah, I would like to see it. 
Will we? Who knows? But I hope so. This next one is from E200 Paragon. I normally don't ask personal questions because that's not what I'm after when it comes to Sonic, but this idea was too interesting to ignore, so my question is this. If you were given permission to officially transplant something from post-Super Genesis Wave Archie to IDW, what is to say something from that universe canonically gets sent to IDW and causes shenanigans? What would you pick, and how would you play it out? Uh, hmm. Now, if we were just saying an element to bring over just to fit into IDW, I feel like Eclipse makes the most sense. He has the most plot potential. He has the most interesting interactions. He would fit. He would make the most sense. He'd be the easiest to transplant. Or Relic, to a lesser degree, just to expand Knuckles' cast, and she's very baggage light. Mm -hmm. She's a researcher. She's on Angel Island. Boop, boop, no problem. But if you mean a canonical bringover, like it is established in the story that this element comes from another version of Sonic and is now placed into IDW. Shoot. I'd say the freedom fighters <laughs> just wholesale, pick them up, plop them over. Yeah. Like the sky patrol escapes Eggman's last hurrah and attempting to rewrite reality and everything else is gone. And they boop shows up an IDW universe and have to acclimate to this new world. Cause what would an Archie element be without a bunch of drama and baggage attached to it? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has to. That's a requirement, but isn't it? <laughs> they would retain their designs. They would retain their interactions. They would retain their history. Mm-hmm. But they would be detached from all the things that would drag them down with the Archie Association. The Sky Patrol allows them to be anywhere in the world and thus accessible at any point for any adventure. And they have a reason to stick together because it's all they have left of their world. And that brings them even into a tighter unity. So, uh, yeah, that might be a way to go. Mm, I'm with you on that one. Here's one from Ichigo Laser. What's going on with Sonic and Amy currently? Sonic seems to be kind of shy, but not pushing her away like he used to, in the IDW comics especially. I heard the unused slash unheard lines from Frontiers, and I've seen the recent 5th anniversary Retail Incentive A cover, and I read what the Frontiers director said about Sonic's love and what it has to do with Amy. I'm not so much asking about, oh, my pairing, but more so wondering if Sega is actually leaning into making them canon. I would be shocked if this actually occurred. They are good friends, and romance is not a thing that the series is focusing on. <laughs> they are the goodest of friends. Oh, they seem like nice friends. Wink. Illegal Chow Fights has a question. So Sonic Frontiers really embraced the anime with all the inspiration from Evangelion. If you could choose any anime or manga for a new Sonic game to once again go all out on inspiration from, which would it be? Uh... I wouldn't <laughs> like the Evangelion nods are there in frontiers to be sure, but frontiers is not Sonic, the Evangelion game. It's just some overt nods here and there and some parallels. It's frontier stands on its own two feet. You know, the death egg is the death star. I mean, come on, uh-huh. but it's not like we have a full one-to-one star Wars inspiration. Supersonic, you know, super Saiyan inspired. 
no debate there, but it's not remotely the same in terms of how it's achieved or portrayed or utilized. So, uh, I wouldn't say anything is like an all out anime interpretation. And there's nothing I can think of immediately off the top of my head that I have seen in anime that I enjoyed that I would want to influence Sonic. Like, I feel like there's a lot of parallels in the presentation and stakes and fun of like my hero academia and Sonic, you know, bright, colorful characters, incredible superpowers fighting overtly evil people. Sure. But I wouldn't want to introduce quirks to Sonic's world. You know, I don't want there to be a reason why people have superpowers in Sonic's world. It's just a natural state of being. Some of them do. I don't want hard genetic markers. I don't want a certain percentile. I don't want a concern about building to a singularity as each generation gets stronger than the next. That's, that's not what Sonic's story is. That's perfectly fine for academia. That's where its story is going. And that's what it's building off of, but it's not an element that I wanted, would want to see transposed or aped in Sonic necessarily. Mm Mm-hmm. Sonic is influenced by manga and anime, without a doubt. Sure, sure, but, sure. But, I mean, it, just in terms of the way it's written and everything, too, is even influenced that way. But it's not like one-to-one exactly. Just lifting things wholesale from anime just to just for the fun of it. <laughs> just for the heck of it. Although I'm being told, put Sonic in a Gundam, you coward. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe (laughs) if anything if there's one guilty pleasure that i'd want to pluck from one and put into the other if for just one game i wouldn't mind to see fusions a la the fusion dance or whatever Mm -hmm. because you could have some fun combos and gameplay elements out of that And then once you introduce the idea, the fandom is going to go nuts with it and create all sorts of grand and wonderful things and then extend it to their own personal characters. And it would just be a fertile ground forever and ever. (laughs) And then also, but there's also the frightening potential there, too. Let's not talk about that. That's 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 a different thing. <laughs> I know what I said. You know what I you know said. What I, I'm asking. I for. know. I know. Yeah. Of course you do. You've been in this fandom long enough, <laughs> or adjacent to it. All right. Here's one from Jolene B. It's time for a crossover question. In the red corner, we have the legendary Windmaster, the errant, the arrogant young avian who's convinced he's Sonic's greatest rival, despite all evidence to the contrary. Jet the Hawk. And in the blue corner, it's the spiteful, lanky cheater who craves the acclaim and attention that the Mario Brothers get while he's painfully aware he'll never have. Waluigi. What do you think would happen if these two D-list menaces met? And who would win when they inevitably get into a fight? Now, hold on. (laughs) Jet may not be like Shadow or Metal Sonic level, but he's at least C-tier. No, no, no. I'm going to go say B-tier. Is he, though? Because he actually can race, okay? That's all he can do, though. Yeah, he's very specific, but he is a very talented racer and someone who can legitimately beat Sonic. At least Waluigi can do multiple sports. (laughs) (laughs) He has multiple disciplines. (laughs) 
Um, I can see them being extremely competitive against each other and extremely nasty, but I could also see them aligning to show up their goody goody counterparts and delighting in the devilish antics that they could get up to in the meanwhile. So <laughs> I, they could be the best of friends and the worst of enemies given the day, you know, <laughs> I could see it where it's like, they they either team up or they start out, you know, all against each other. And, but then they realize that they're more alike than different. So they just team up. <laughs> and then they're a real in terms problem. Of, <laughs> in terms of fighting, we don't really know how well Jet can fight, but I think Waluigi has the reach. Like, I think one leg is as long as Jet is tall. So, no. <laughs> Boot him off the airboard mid-race over a cliff. <laughs> Waluigi would fight dirty, obviously. <laughs> Doing the cross chop as he crosses the finish line. Wah! <laughs> uh, good old Waluigi. Ah, it's good stuff. Good stuff right there. Here's a question from Maymay Snow. If push came to shove, do you think Sonic's current game and IDW portrayals could be capable of pulling off some of the downright crazy speed feats the characters demonstrated in the Archie comics? Pre-SGW, Sonic has some ridiculous stuff with his super speed. I guess I'm asking that age-old question, how fast is Sonic? Or at least, how fast does he stack up across all of these continuities, if there even is a difference? Also, hello Kyle, if you're the one reading this. Hello, Maymay. I hope you and Ian are having a cool day. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Thank you so much. Keeping the AAC on, so it's pretty cool. Mm. Uh, no, I would say current Sonic is not going to pull off the Silver Age nonsense that early Archie Sonic did. Um, at least I'm not going to take him in that direction because I don't like that. Like, I can vibrate my individual molecules so I phase through matter or... I can scoop up seawater and pack it into a ball and throw it because I'm that fast. That's at that <laughs> point. He's so fast. There is literally nothing that should stop him. It's it's I, I know this is a talking animal series, but it's silly. It's I don't like that level of incredible feats to be used once and then never thought of again without any greater context. That annoys me. Um, I think like the upper limit no pun intended, is the limit. I got your limit right here scene. That's the kind of over-the-top ridiculous, but still within the bounds of his abilities that I would want to go. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah. It's always, it is very frustrating when they use something once and then never again. It's like, what the heck? It's very, very, very annoying. <sighs> well, maybe eventually we'll get hypersonic back again. Someday. <laughs> yes, please open that can of worms again. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. It's already open. What do you, what do you mean? The, nah, wor nah, the worms nah. have all spread. Every, the, the, worms, the worms are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one who threw them all over. <laughs> I did. I did. I did. <laughs> oh, oh, those, those wriggly, wriggly worms. Ah, oh, they're all over the place. All right. Here's one from Noni. So what's up with the Bomb and Jade Wisps? Are they a type of Nego Wisp? Or do they just look like that but aren't all snarly? Or are they just goth? 
I'm a bit at a loss when it comes to those little butter, little buggers, little butters, <laughs> <laughs> butters. All right, this, you have touched upon one of my pet peeves with Sonic right now, and it's not important. I realize that, but <laughs> I have opinions. Oh no! Is Sonic fan getting all up in arms about something that doesn't matter? No, <laughs> never happened. Look, you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I get it. Because colors establish that wisps have no mouths and one or more eyes, and they must scream. And that nego wisps, <laughs> nego wisps have no eyes and the snarly fangly mouth. Uh huh. This is. That is the clear visual distinction of what a Nego Wisp is, and we see in the ending cutscene them converting back into normal Wisps when they have their hyper goons restored. But then Lost World and subsequent games introduced Wisps like Bomb and Jade and such that have all the characteristics of a Nego Wisp, but they shouldn't be there anymore. Nothing has taken their hyper goons. So, and I brought this up actually. When working on the Rise of the Wisps short, the animation that but with uh, Colors Unlimited, yeah, mm -hmm. or Ultimate Colors Ultimate, there we go, whatever it was called, and was told no, no, they're just normal wisps, and I'm like, but that's not right. So I know how I would want to address it, but that's kind of an internal thing, and it is not remotely a priority. So if something ever comes down the line and highlights it, and I seem particularly pleased, you know that I got to steal five minutes of a meeting somewhere and convince someone that, yes, this is how they should be. When that hashtag knowing smile comes, you'll know. <laughs> you, too, could also have that hashtag knowing smile. Here's one from a phantomist. Since 2011, with Kirby's Return to Dreamland, the Kirby series has developed a wide series-encompassing lore that ties the plot points and stories from across all the series together. Magalore implied to have met Marks from Superstar in RTDL, the Dimensional Mirror reappearing in Triple Deluxe, a Clockwork Star, a.k.a. a Galactic Nova, be being in Planet Robobot, etc. My friends got very similar Kirby lore vibes from Sonic Frontiers, with it constantly making note of and acknowledging past events, with the standout being the Ancients' connection to Chaos from Sonic Adventure. As you're someone known for trying to tie everything together, what are your thoughts on how the Kirby lore is put together, considering your work is fairly similar? Personally, I think Kirby lore is a fantastic addition to the series that really rewards longtime fans without being super alienating to newcomers. I'm not as well-versed in the Kirby stuff. Like, some of the, some of the games you mentioned, and I'm like, Really? That that wasn't there? I don't remember that. I do remember the the Nova showing up, though, and I freaked the frig out of that. I was like, oh my god, it's a Nova! But <laughs> uh, it's, it's an interesting take because it's much subtler about things, and it's usually held off till the tail end of the game. Um, like, I was cracking up in, uh, oh, what was the last one? Forgotten Kingdom? Forgotten Land, yeah. Forgotten Lands, there we go. Um, where it's a pretty standard Kirby fair until you get to, like, one of the final bosses. And it's like, <laughs> voice acting? Lore dump? Monologues? <laughs> what, did, what did, huh? <laughs> Why? When? How? <laughs> and I ate it up, sure, but it was... 
Well, I mean, yeah, I thought something was kind of off when they had that post-apocalyptic human human city in there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems like it seems like that was be like a big red flag. Like, oh boy, something's <laughs> going on here. Oh no. <laughs> but um, it is interesting in how they tackle it, and I wish it was slightly more accessible. I'm sure there's wikis out there that make it, you know fairly easy to digest, but I wish it was presented in a little more user-friendly way because I don't necessarily remember everything between titles and putting it all together. But I also appreciate the fact that that would be Kirby. Kirby is not really a narratively driven uh, series too much. There is bad thing. Kirby stopped the bad thing. He is adorable and badass at the same time. It, (laughs) doesn't need to be a narratively robust game. So saving it in the background or presenting it at the end, once you've really devoted yourself to it is perfectly fine. It is a way of doing it. And it also, again, kind of is the punchline. It's like, here's super cutesy, simple Kirby. Oh wait, lore. (laughs) And finally Eldrick horror. It's a lot like Sonic in that way, actually. Although Sonic tends to be lore heavy, although it depends on the era we're talking about, I suppose. But for at least a time there in the early 2000s, Sonic was a lot of lore, very lore heavy. Oh, yeah. Then it stopped for a bit. Now it's back in full force. (laughs) And the thing there is, too, is like Adventure, Adventure 2, the, the, robust narrative is throughout it starts simply and builds up like any good story does but it's a driving factor for the game it isn't a background element necessarily all right well if you want a full primer on uh kirby lore (laughs) noni in our discord did a full-on lore dump of kirby took about 11 hours (laughs) Oh, God. <laughs> and they put it all out on the line, and it's over in uh, in the video games channel. If you go there, you'll find it pinned at the beginning of it, and it's uh, it's pretty wild. It's fun. <laughs> they go freaking ham on it. <laughs> it's very funny, but very fun to read. So go check it out if you're in there. If you're not in there, well, what the heck? What the heck? Hurry up. Join the Patreon. Here's one from Professor Scruffy Matt. In the Sonic Frontiers Divergence Prologue, Knuckles ends up on the Starfall Islands after discovering a cyberspace portal when he's trying to help a nearby Chow. Was finding it a coincidence, or did Rouge bribe that Chow into luring Knuckles away so that she could take the Master Emerald? Did Knuckles get home after the end of Frontiers to find his island underwater? Wait, is that a spoiler for the DLC? (laughs) No, it was largely coincidence, but... You'll notice to call kind of floating up towards Sky Sanctuary, prompting Knuckles to go look in that direction. Did she know, or did she just have a feeling? That is just one of the many mysteries. Wait, what? To call? Oh no! Oh no! To call? Hmm. Is this a thing? Is this a foreshadowing for something? Hmm. No, it's in the episode. It's I know, I know, animation. I know, I know, but I don't think I quite got that it was supposed to be to call. Well, what other pink light bowl on Angel Island pointing things out would it be? I don't know, man. 
this is Sonic. There could be pink light flying things everywhere. <laughs> this could be just anything, man. What am I supposed to? What am I supposed to think? I don't know what I'm supposed to think. Help me, help me, Ian. Help me think. I just told you. <laughs> no thinking required. No think. Process think, information. Think, think, except fact. Think for me, <laughs> please. <laughs> I can't think anymore. Oh. I think you should move on to the next question. Okay, fine. Here's one from Ragamillion. I really appreciate your answer to my question regarding Tails' fighting capabilities, and I liked your views on Tails. I want to clarify that I don't think Tails should be overpowering opponents. I agree that wouldn't make sense. Tails works smarter, not harder. What I meant was that I'd like Tails' fighting prowess and intelligence to be blended blended together. A nice balance of both. When he, when he defeated Ruff and Zamam, he didn't use gadgets, but he did use his smarts and physical skills. I'd love a longer and more physical fight that showcases both of these assets and Tails's that Tails possesses and have him win. I knew I said physical fights are what Sonic's for, but why does he he get to hog all the fun? Let Tails get that moment to shine for once. It'd be a nice taste of his incredible potential. Sorry if I wasn't clear last time. I think this is coming down to a degree personal bias, biases and just nuance in the interpretation. You want to see Tails win in a... Smackdown drag out fight. And I get that. I don't feel that's really in theme with his character. He's not going to stand his ground and fight to the bitter end. Uh, Unless he needs to. to showcase. I mean, he's not really one to showcase all of his cool skills just to win the fight. If he, if he can't decisively take someone out with one of his particular signature moves, he's going to back off and think of a smarter way to go around it. That's who he is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess you can find a scenario to force him into fighting instead of being smart about it. But, and I, you're saying in a blend of intelligence and his skills, but that's all in the execution. Like he's going to back off and not fight, fight necessarily. Unless you're thinking kind of like a Midoriya type thing where he, or a manga-esque in mid-punch, he's calculating the angle of the attack and the force necessary to render the perfect execution of this attack. But I really don't like that style of storytelling. And I'm not saying that's what you want specifically. I'm just trying to find that middle ground of what you want specifically. Cause I feel like I've already answered and given what you want, but you don't. And again, I feel like this comes down to nuance and just personal bias and interpretation. All I know is Twitter is going to be real mad next week. Yeah. 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 Mm. Sorry guys. Hopefully not rock a million though. Cause basically we're kind of in agreement. It's just getting down to like the finest of fine points. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Please don't get me on Twitter. I know you will, but please don't. It's largely moot because I'm not like the singular writer for Sonic. Somebody else might do exactly what he wants, in which case he can point it out and say, yeah, that's what I meant. Go, Oh, okay. There you go. There you go. All right, we got one last question, and it's from our good buddy Scurvy Pirate Dog. So to understand, Takal is dead, and during the ending to SA1, she and Chaos went to the afterlife. Well, I read some issues of the Archie Sonic X comic, and there, Tikal offers Cheese to come with them and the other Chow. 
So did Tikal offer to kill Cheese and drag his soul to the afterlife? Is Tikal the Chow's Grim Reaper? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I think that was just a slight misinterpretation of what was going on with Tikal and Chaos at the time. <laughs> Slash changing oversight from Sega. So, <laughs> But it's funnier this plus, way. <laughs> plus, I mean, it's Cheese. It doesn't really matter if he goes to the afterlife or not. He'd come back if he wanted to. <laughs> what are you going to do? Stop him? I'm not going to stop ridiculous. him. You can't stop cheese. <laughs> you can't stop big and you can't stop cheese. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Tikal is a very sweet and polite embodiment of death. <laughs> uh, Instead of playing chess for your soul, she offers checkers if that's more your speed. Uh, <laughs> Oh, oh, boy. oh, is that too too robust? How about some tic tac toe? Oh boy, oh boy! Of course, if you lose to the Grim Reaper at tic tac toe, I guess you gotta have to go at that point. You don't even want to be alive after that. Uh, oh no! I didn't even get a cat. He just completely destroyed me. Oh, I guess I have to go now. Oh no! No. Oh. I lost tic tac toe. I'll never live this down. You're exactly right. Uh, well, if Takal is dead, then what's she doing floating around as a ball of light? Ghost. That is a ball of light floating around, Ian. That is not a ghost. A ghost is something completely different. Ghost looks... enduring spirit. Then whatever. A ghost is like they're the ghosts live in the Sandopolis zone, and. Except pyramid the ones in the mansions, pyramid houses, wherever else they are. I don't know. She a force ghost? Maybe that's it. <sighs> Whatever. Maybe she's a ghost of the future. There we go. But I'm. Ah. All right, let's get out of here. That's going to wrap us up for this edition of the Bumblecast. Thank you to everyone over at patreon.com slash bumblecast, ko-fi.com slash bumblecast, and our YouTube members for supporting the show. Sorry, I don't have the lung capacity to get all through through all 200 plus of you guys this time. Be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and we will see you next time on the Bumblecast. We'll make it up to you later. In the meantime, get out of here. Leave. Go! You've been listening to The Bumblecast, a co-production of Bumble King Comics and the KNGI Network. Original theme music composed by Ken Coda Snyder. Remixed intro by T-Lopes. Find out more information, along with podcast feeder links, MP3 downloads, and more at BumbleKing.com and KNGI.org.